Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amrit Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. Keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself. Do us a solid. Subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired. Keep evolving. to the inspired evolution and it is a treat it's a treat for your whole self here today we have with us mike robbins mike welcome brother hey man thanks that's uh definitely one of the most passionate openings of a podcast i've ever heard i love it (laughs) (laughs) passion and purpose is how we roll around here man thank you so much for reflecting that back to us for those tuning into mike for the first time guys you are in for a treat his recent book is we're all in this together and you guys know me connections my highest value so i already love it um he is an author thought leader and he's well sought after as a speaker he's teaching people and leaders how to infuse their lives and their businesses with their entire authentic self and bringing that to the workplace to the work that they do doesn't always have to be within an organization can be your own little organization that you create on the side um but it's about you showing up there's appreciation that we can go in to there's authenticity that we can go into there's connection there's empathy there is so much we can talk about and the ground that we can cover today so let's hit the ground running from that point there mike like there is so much goodness in your work and it is so i'm just going to go there polymathic Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Can you tell us a little bit about the interdimensionality of your work and why, like, why not stick to a lane? Like what inspires you to consider, to continuously write more books in completely different avenues and directions, all dedicated to the one heart, which is work and having meaningful, loving work in your life, but all yeah. the different dimensionalities of it. Like, can you speak to that a little bit to us? Like, what is your inspiration in that space? Why is it so multidimensional? Yeah, please. Well, I look, I appreciate the question. It's, um, you know, when I started doing this over two decades ago, I mean, I was, you know, I was in my 20s. I, I had come through a journey, you know, my young life was focused on sports. So I grew up here, I grew up here in the US in California, where I still live, I played baseball all growing up as a kid. It's a huge part of your life, eh? Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, it's something that a lot of American kids do in certain parts of the world. I know it's, you know, there's a little bit down in uh, in Australia, New Zealand mm. area, but not as much here. But so I was an athlete and that's what I thought was going to kind of be my thing. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I grew up single mom. We didn't have a lot of money. I was really good at baseball. It's like, OK, this is my thing. And I go to college um, and play baseball there at Stanford University. Then I get drafted out of Stanford by the Kansas City Royals, one of our pro baseball teams here wow. in the U.S. And I, and I signed a pro contract and you got to go into the, there's a bunch of levels of what, what's called the minor leagues before you make it to the major leagues. And I ended up getting injured oh. when I was 23 and I had started baseball when I was seven and I get hurt. And, and prior to even getting injured, I had also started when I was in college, I had a couple of pretty serious bouts of depression. And at the time in the mid nineties, I mean, we're talking so much more about mental health these days, thank goodness for athletes and everybody. But in yeah. those days, th there wasn't a lot of talk. Although I was it wasn't even taboo. It was just, it just wasn't even talked about. Yeah, yeah, It yeah. was just like out of the realm. And yeah. what happened, but you'll appreciate this because what started to happen for me when I, when I got depressed, I got scared because my dad had really had suffered from bipolar disorder for most of his life. So I was familiar with mental mm. health issues and mental illness, but was scared. Oh no, I'm dealing with this depression. And I come from a family where this is pretty significant, but there was something sort of calling me and I was, you know, saw the doctor and saw the psychiatrist and went that route. But then I just sort of felt called in these directions that I couldn't quite articulate even at the time, because I was pretty young, but I would, I met this man who was introduced to me by a friend and he was kind of weird, but he was really interesting. And he was in his early fifties and he started teaching me about meditation. He started sending me you know books and cassette tapes and my uncle who was a therapist down in texas had been doing that even when i was younger and i didn't even really understand what i was so drawn to yeah but i was drawn i was listening to cassette tapes of marianne williamson and wayne dyer and i was wandering into bookstores and just finding myself in the sort of self-help spiritual section and going mm -hmm. like you know, what's a 20 year old baseball player with my yeah. arm backwards doing in these places. But, but so what ended up happening was over the span of those few years, and then ultimately culminating in the injury that ended my baseball career, which then threw me for a whole loop, because it's like, who the hell am I if I'm not an athlete having started mm -hmm. at seven, and retire at 25. And don't really, you know, I got an education mm -hmm. and done a few other things. But that was really what I thought was who I was, right? I was Identity crisis, man. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's a long sort of background into what ultimately happened. I spent a couple of years working in the dot-com world in the late nineties here in the San Francisco, Silicon Valley area where I live. And then I got laid off, mm. which was a blessing because I, you know, I wasn't really passionate about selling online advertising. I just had mm. that job because I needed to pay the rent so I could mm. live, but I was still in this sort of existential crisis of like, 
who the hell am I? What do I really want to do? What's my life about if it's not to be a major league baseball player? And what kept coming to me was over the span of that previous five or six years between about the age of 20 and 26, I had gone through a lot, the depression, a couple of heartbreaks, um, the end of my baseball career. And through that experience had just come up against some real pain and some real mm. sadness. But in the scheme of things, as a kid who'd always done well in school and done well in sports and was now starting my career and in the, you know, San Francisco.com, it looked good on the surface, but underneath I was really suffering. And what I realized was everyone must be suffering at some level. We're just not talking about it. <sighs> so that's really what started to draw me in the direction of like, wait a minute, I'm not the only one in pain here. And why are we all going around pretending like everything's cool when it's really not? I just wanted to go deeper. And that's what kind of started me on my own spiritual practice, which was already underway. But then I had this calling for, I think I'm supposed to talk about these things and teach these things. I don't know what, and I don't know why, and I don't know how. And I say that because to your question of like, what's made it so multi-dimensional, multi it's always been for me about sh sharing the truth and also whatever I'm going through yeah. without being self-absorbed about it. I just assume other people are probably going through this. So if I can share a bit of my own experience, mm. that may benefit them. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it's, it's quite profound, isn't it? Because oftentimes, and there's this thing about pain and suffering, which when we're going through it, and pardon guys, inspired evolution is meant to be about hope. <laughs> we went straight into the <laughs> right. hey, we're, we're, we're being real, right? Yes. The thing about pain and suffering is that it has this this tendency for an inwards inflection. Do you know yes. what I mean? It's like when we start going through something, it's like, oh, like even when people like, you know, I lost my mentor a couple of years ago and mm. she completely turned herself into an island. Like she literally detracted from the community, took herself away, didn't want anybody to see her in her pain and suffering, which totally respect her wishes. But just as an observation piece, it's like, and you know rest in peace bless her soul and she's no yeah. longer with us but she is in in spirit um but there's this really interesting like inflection that pain and suffering has which is like okay return back inwards you know it's like we we, we close in the flower sort of closes in on itself just it and, but it's this real you know i just remarking on something in there which is like you know you did go in and you felt your pain and you know but then there's this surely I'm not alone in feeling this way, or even potentially I'm not alone in feeling this yeah. way and allowing yourself to sort of crack open a little bit to say, hey, it's really messy and gooey and oh, in here. Thoughts. Totally. And then how that connects people to sort of being seen and witnessed in like the, the path that you've taken. Well, it does. And you know, what's interesting, I mean, I think about pain or difficulty in kind of an interesting way in the sense that, look, I mean, I'm not waking up in the morning saying, oh, I really want today to be painful and awful and miserable. Not at all. However, you know, walking around the planet now for 48 years myself, and I'm sure there's people listening who are much younger or much older than I am. It's mm. like we experience things. You know, my friend Robert Holden likes to say, by the time you get to be 30 years old, you usually have more than enough reasons to be miserable for the rest of your life. <laughs> and then it becomes a choice. Like, how do I choose to live? Right? Choice. Mm. And, and ultimately, I mean, and look at what we've all gone through over the last two years, like lots of pain and suffering, whether it's personally or collectively around us. And then there's the ultimate choice of how am I going to show up in the midst of this? How am I going to show up in the face of this? And for me, earlier in my life, what I started to realize was, oh, yeah, this notion of dealing with difficulty and challenge is universal. We all have our own unique mm. challenges that we face.
but there's something kind of humbling and beautiful, even in the pain that sort of connects us to like, oh, everybody experiences some level of this. And for me, it's always been a process. And one of the, the silver linings sometimes when things go wrong or, or are hard or are painful is it wakes us up to all the good stuff that we weren't necessarily paying attention to. So the very first book that I wrote came out back in 2007, which seems like a thousand years ago now, <laughs> is called Focus on the Good Stuff. Yeah, And it was really about my journey into, oh, how do I cultivate a practice of gratitude and appreciation for other people, for myself, for life? Because that doesn't come now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Naturally to me, I wasn't, I didn't, wasn't raised in a family where we sat around and talked about what we were grateful for. There was a lot of whining and complaining. There was a lot of woe is me that was kind of infused on me. And I don't say that to throw my parents under the bus. Mm. They were both dealing with, you know, they split up when I was three and they were both dealing with a set of challenges. My father's mental illness and my mother being a single mom, just trying to make her way through the world. But I realized, oh, this gratitude thing, this appreciation thing. I'm going to have to actually practice that and learn that and teach myself that. And then what I started to look out into the world and I realized, oh, that doesn't seem like there's an abundance of that just flowing around. It's not a baseline norm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's and it's, yeah. however, it's, it's really simple, but it's powerful. Yeah. And so for me, it was like, okay, I want to learn. And, and one of the things is circling back even to your original question, everything that I write about, everything that I speak about and teach about, if you will, it's always stuff that first and foremost, I either struggle with and or I want to learn more about. So there's a self-serving part of it. Like, let me yeah. try to figure this out. And if I figure any of it out, not like so much in terms of expertise, but just like, oh, I think I've uncovered something about this. Yeah. I'm just someone who likes to share. You know, if, yeah. I see a, if I see a movie that I really like or I watch a TED talk that I really like or I, I'm binging a show, I'm going to be like, dude, you got to watch this. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> You may think it's ridiculous, but I'm going to tell you about it, whether you want to hear about it or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. And, you know, there's a massive, there's a massive ode to, like one of the people that I had on the podcast, Joe Vitale, he talks about when you get inspired, that's the best yeah. place to create from because there's that moment where you go, <gasps> and it's like, use that, <gasps> that thing that <gasps> helped you draw energy, brings energy in, animates you, that prana, whatever you want to look at it as, use totally. it, harness it, you know, and I feel like one of my other friends, actually one of the first guests we ever had on the podcast, Sam, he said, you know, something's really good and really helpful when you want to share it, you know, he's a massive yeah. introvert. Like he's a beautiful introvert. He's just one of those sage individuals. And he's like, but there's those moments where it's like, mm, 
I want to share that. And it's like, yeah, man, those, you know, you're onto something with that. So let's dovetail from that and let the rubber hit the road, man. So from here, we're talking a little bit about pain and the suffering and the collective and opening ourselves up to that. There is this stat that is flying around. 80% of us are dissatisfied in our job, in the Mm. work that we do. Uh, Coupled with this other stat that one in two of us around the world now are anxious or depressed. I personally, I know for a fact that, you know, potentially there is nobody out there that is drawing a correlation between the two. In my intuitive heart of hearts, it's the one correlation that I keep drawing and keep drawing and keep drawing. My humble perspective is, you know, we discussed this earlier, it was the birth of the inspired evolution, rocking up to a job, you know, I was doing 12 hours a day, but, you know, for most people it's eight hours a day where, you know, just the I just feel like it's an archaic conversation now. It's like I, go, I, I drink my green smooth, some green juice smoothie. I go to yoga. I do go to the gym. You know, I've got my martial arts. I've got my meditation practice. I've got all these things that I'm doing. I'm ticking all these boxes. I'm eating healthy and clean. But, but, but I spend eight hours of my day where I absolutely hate what I do. Right. And it's like, but I'm healthy. <laughs> it's yeah. like boundaries have just completely dissolved in, our hum, in my humble opinion. It's like, yeah. you know what? you're spending the majority of your waking hours doing something you don't like just emotional regulation wise like that cannot be good for you man so yeah let's talk about that pain that suffering the 80 percent stat like how does that ring true i know you do a lot of talks google ted like you know there's a lot of that you've afforded the world in this space does that feel like it's true for you and do you think there's a disruption underway can we just riff on that and unpack it a little bit yeah yeah i mean i think there's a lot to that you know what's interesting just in terms of even my own journey with my work you know, I didn't set out when I first started doing this work, you know, 21, almost 22 years ago, that I was going to go inside of organizations and speak to people there because, you know, here I was former athlete, I worked for two companies and they were relatively small, you know, internet startup companies, they weren't like big corporations. So I didn't really even know what that sort of corporate world was Mm -hmm. like. And I didn't love it when I was Mm -hmm. doing the dot com thing, but then I got laid off and it was sort of like, oh, And I actually started my business kind of by accident because I was hoping to get hired by someone or a small firm or someplace I could get mentored and sort of be an apprentice and learn some things. And Mm. the economy was terrible at the time. So I just figured, all right, well, I'm going to have to start my own thing. Mm. And and again, the models that I had, the people that I looked to were the Wayne Dyers and Marianne Williamson's and Deepak Chopra's of the world. And Mm. although my background was a little different, I sort of felt like that's the direction that I want to go. And Mm -hmm. for a number of years in my work, I was just writing things that were really calling to me. But what kept happening was these companies kept hiring me to come in and speak, which was kind of great on the one hand. But then on the other hand, I'm like, I'm not really a corporate guy. I actually don't really love the corporate world. I have some issues and some opinions and some judgments and people Mm -hmm. seem so. but But then I started to see this opening where it was like, oh, I can go in there and talk about some things and share some ideas that you and I might talk about here on your podcast that Mm -hmm. are very personal and very spiritual, but do it in the context of how do you actually bring more of yourself to the work that you do? How can it be more fulfilling? And maybe the truth is for a lot of people, some of those 80%, the most authentic thing to do would be quit your job and go do your own thing. And at Mm -hmm. the same time, you and I both know not everybody's in the position to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. You can and you have the courage or you have the means or the resources or the privilege or just the willingness or whatever, more power to you. But I think there's a way where it can be both. And I do think there's some fundamental things that are going on inside of the corporate world, if you will, that don't work and don't work for anybody involved. 
And at the same time, I also think just the nature of like, we're in the middle of this revolution right now that we don't even fully understand of how everybody works and what mm. people can do. And the fact that everyone can do everything basically virtually. Mm. I think what comes on the other side of this potentially could be a real renaissance, you know, of people being more inspired and more engaged in their work. But the other thing that I'll say for what it's worth is you probably know this yourself, having started your own business, leaving, you know, the corporate world, there's a lot of freedom and liberation, but it's also not that easy. Mm. It's sexy, right? When you're stuck in the nine to five job that you hate. And Come on, like, man. Oh, you can't put that in the sales pitch. I'm going to turn this podcast off now. <laughs> but no, but I'm just, I mean, but let's, it's let's legit, be real about it's it. Legit. It's, 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 it's not like we, we see it starry eyed. It's like, I'm going to disconnect yes. and it's just going to be, oh my God, all the freedom and space. And it's like, actually, you're your own boss now. And dude, you totally. got some real things to look at. Like, yeah, well, man. And, and I remember someone saying to, saying to me in kind of a brutal way, he's like, but it was, it was a mentor of mine early on. He goes, look, Mike, there's people in life that are wired to get a paycheck and there's nothing wrong with that. And then there's people in life who are wired to go create something of their own. And he's like, and they're different skill sets and they're different mindsets. And the reality is in different stages of your life, one might be more appealing than the other. So I say this all in, I actually look at work as a spiritual practice for all of us. And it's really about, about our intention. You could have the most sort of cookie cutter, boring on the surface kind of corporate job where you feel like you sell your soul to do it, but you could bring an enormous amount of yourself and passion and inspiration to it. Or you could have the most incredibly inspiring looking business that you started on your own and you grew and it's fantastic and it's a full expression of who you are. And you could be miserable because as someone who's done something that I absolutely love for all these years, there are times during this that I've absolutely loved every minute of what I'm doing. And there's other times where it's been awful. And the only difference is me and how I'm relating to it or what's going on. And so I say that because it comes back to like at the core of my work, it's really about like, we're at choice. We're the source, if you will, in our human experience of how it is for us. And I've seen people inside of an organization, say like Google, that's like this cool, fun place to work yeah. that love being there because it's fantastic or hate it. And it's not about the place, it's about them. Mm. So that's where it really comes to with us. And I think so often, I think what we do is blame the circumstances as opposed to really bring ourselves to it and say, okay, mm. if something's not working, what do I need to shift? Mm -hmm. I love that. And I can hear the echoes of nothing changes unless we do really in that, brother. So yeah. let's, let's, let's really just go there for a moment because the difference is me is something yes. that you just said then. And it's, I think on a surface level, everybody kind of gets that, you know, it's like, you know, I have, it's like a mindset conversation. Yeah. That's it's basically what it is. Yeah. But I know from having followed your work that it's, it's way deeper than that. It's like, it's almost that when the student is ready, only yes. then does the teacher appear. So, well, yeah, and I, I, have two, I have two stories related to that that are both about me actually writing books for what it's worth. So people listening, mm -hmm. if you're interested in writing books, great, but it does, it's not about that. But when I tried to get my first book published years ago, mm -hmm. I spent, it was about a six-year process, five, six-year process. I got rejected by 25 publishers. I was really, really, even early on, I was like, I got to write a book. I got to write, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty achievement-oriented for better or worse. So, yep. I focus on that. I go through all the steps. I do all the things you're supposed to do, but there's not enough interest. And they, I keep, they keep saying no. Mm. And my ego's getting bruised and I'm, you know, 
learning from it, but pretending like I don't care when I really do care and feeling mm -hmm. discouraged and the whole thing, right? And finally, I was on my second literary agent and she was sending it out one at a time and it kept getting rejected and rejected. And she calls me and says, Mike, listen, you're a nice guy. And I know you're really passionate about this appreciation stuff, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, and I had just had a baby. My, our now 16-year-old daughter, you can relate Whoa, to this, right? Yeah. Our 16-year-old our Samantha was like a couple weeks old Yo. when I had that conversation with Linda, my, my old agent. And, and I said to her, she said, told me on a Friday and I was really disturbed and disgusted and disappointed and frustrated. And I was like, and I talked to my wife and I literally couldn't sleep over the weekend. I was just all churned up about it. And I woke up, I think Sunday morning. And I remember saying to Michelle, my wife, screw it. I'm not waiting for permission anymore. I don't care if Linda thinks this is a good idea. I don't care if any publisher, I'm publishing this damn book because it needs to come out of me. It's now become uncomfortable. I have to write this thing. And I'm someone who does not like to write, even all these years, it's not my favorite thing. I'm an extrovert. I like talking to people. I don't like sitting in a room by myself writing. I, I was always like every paper I wrote in school, I did it the absolute last minute. Not, everyone listening, do not train your children to be this way in school and in life. But this was how I was. So I say that because yeah. I called Linda, I called Linda on Monday and I said, listen, I hear you. I understand, but I'm not waiting anymore. I'm going to write this book. I'll self-publish it. I'm just, I'm done waiting it's for permission. Easy. I need, yeah. yeah. And she's like, okay, hold on a second. I, she goes, look, before you do that, I know, let me send it. I have three more on my list that I didn't get to, but I'm going to send it all to all three of them this week and we'll see what happens. A couple of days later, she calls me back and she says, Mike, all three publishers are interested. This was the same proposal that kept getting rejected, rejected, rejected. And the only thing I can see now looking back at that experience, this was, you know, early 2006. I wrote that book, in seven. Yeah. It was, I wasn't ready until that moment. Something shifted in. And I don't know if it was having the baby or just getting pissed off or whatever the heck it was. Uh -huh. But then I was ready to actually what it was going to take to write the thing and mm -hmm. put the thing out into the world. And prior to that, even though I thought I was ready, I can see now with enough perspective, oh, I wasn't. Mm. So it was that internal shift. And again, it wasn't about the way she pitched it or the way that it was written. It was the exact same thing. And I bet every single person listening to this right now has had an experience, if not multiple experiences of that happening in their life, either in big ways or small ways, when something finally clicks and all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm ready now, or okay, let's do it. And then the universe has a way of reorganizing itself right around us in a very short amount of time. And it's not about hard work. It's not even about determination. It's literally about something shifting. It's really, uh, thank you so much for sharing that because it, it does get a little trippy dippy when you start tuning into that. One of my mentors, Vishen Lakiani, um, CEO of Mind Valley, he, he, um, he mentioned this. He'd written a book called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. Great book. I love it. Um, I help actually teach people some of the practices in there. But he went, like, he'd written it for years and then randomly went away on a trip to South America worked with some plant medicines, came back. And on the flight back, there was this drop in for him, which was like, hey, check your book. And he checked his like the standing of his book on Amazon. And all of a sudden, it was on number one, and it stayed on number one as a self improvement book again and again. And we're talking for like a long like more than weeks, like ages, right? Months, maybe even a year, I think. And it was just like, for him, it was like, it's the same book. It's been in the marketplace for ages. Like, what? Like, right. why all of a sudden? Like, normally you launch a book and it launches onto number one, right? And then, right. And then it's sort of, and it's just been like, like, what? Like, like, it's interesting. It's interesting. It it's intriguing. Well, it's intriguing. It is. Yeah. And there's there's so many factors that go into things like that. Whether we're talking about books or products or ideas. I mean, just think of the internet, right? Mm. I mean, all of us are 
on the internet to whatever degree we are. We're on social media. You know, you have a podcast, you do your work. I do, but whatever you do in life, I mean, all of us are publishing something for the most part. I mean, it's much more the exception than the rule these days for people that like, yeah, yeah, I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. I don't do any of that. And that's fine. If yeah. you do, if you don't, more power to you. I mean, look, there's a lot of potential negativity in pitfalls. all of that as well, mm-hmm. pitfalls for sure. But what's amazing to me is I'm always fascinated by ideas that go viral. Like, how does mm. that happen? Right? Like something, or, you know, you have a podcast, you look at all of a sudden one episode, just, whoa, a whole bunch of people listen to that one. It's like, okay, sometimes it might be, it was so-and-so was on it or this thing happened. But most often it's like, I don't really know what happened there. Mm. You know, it's like, you do your thing, you do your thing, and then something pops. And it's always this interesting thing for me just to look at how that happens more as a phenomenon of energy, as opposed to some practical strategic thing, mm-hmm. you know, that we try to, to make happen, if you will, because I, I do think it comes down again, the, the second story that I have, that's also sort of book related a couple of years later. So I wrote two books sort of back to back my first two. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had two babies. I wrote two books and we had two babies in the span of about three and a half years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, I know you have a new, a new baby yourself and it's a lot, right? yeah. it's a lot. And it's look, it, I mean, it's amazing. And it's intense. It's just, it is. intense right? is the right word. <laughs> it's, intense. Yeah. it's just a lot. Like I, my wife and I watched this movie years ago and it's about some guy who thought about was wanting to have kids and he goes to the park and the kids are all playing and, and he's talking to some dad who's got three kids. And he's like, what's it like being a dad? And the guy was like, you want me to tell you the truth? And he said, yeah, he goes, well, it's awful, awful, awful. Then it's amazing. Then it's awful, awful. <laughs> then it's amazing. Then it's awful, awful. And we were like, peeing in our pants laughing because it was like, oh my God, that's exactly what it feels like, especially in the baby toddler years when you're still like, what the hell is going on? Is this how it's supposed to feel? Because this is not what I expected. Literally my life right now. (laughs) But so 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 two babies, two books in the span of three and a half years. And oh, by the way, this also happened. Our first baby was born in 06. The first book came out in 07. The second baby was born in 08. The second book came out in 09 Mm. and then the economy imploded, Mm. which happened right after we bought our first house. And right as I thought, oh, my business is really starting to go. I'm doing this. Here we go. And then boom. Right. So Mm. all of that happened. And I remember what I basically said to my wife was like, "Okay, look, I know one thing I'm not going to do for a while. I'm not going to write another book because writing a book for me, while I'm grateful to have written them is hard work. There's a lot involved. It's like a whole other business on top of my regular Mm -hmm. business. And so things sort of stabilized. The girls got a little bit older. The economy got a little bit better. And then I felt like I was ready to write my third book, but I was really scared because I was like those first two experiences, while I'm proud of the books, grateful that I did it, they were really hard and I did not go about them in the most elegant way. Mm. So when I was in the middle of writing my third book, which you referenced just a minute ago, it's called Nothing Changes Until You Do. Mm. I had this really basic but profound realization because I was working with this amazing woman named Melanie, who's since been my writing partner and editor and for the last three books that I've done. And I love working with her because it's much more collaborative and we get to talk and share ideas and it's like I'm having a conversation with a friend, which just works so much better for me and my style. But I remember saying to her at one point, oh my gosh, Mel, I just realized like writing a book's actually not that hard. You know what's hard? Dealing with myself is the hard part. 
that's why I haven't done it. That's why I was so unhappy the last two times when I did this, because I was in this fight with myself the whole time. Like, this is stupid. You're an idiot. Stop talking to yourself like that. You're writing about positivity. And then I'm like, I'm like a crazy person having this conversation, right? And it's like, oh, yeah. that's the part that's hard. It's not the actual doing of the thing. And then I was like, parenting and marriage and all these things that, yeah, can be complex and have some challenge to them. But it's like, no, no, it's me that brings the challenge. <laughs> the thing itself is actually just the thing, whatever the heck it is, I get to bring the challenge or the joy. I get to bring the intensity or the passion or the whatever. And it's like, oh, well, then that changes the game quite significantly. Completely. If I want to write 20 books, I get to write 20 books. If I want to write none, I get to write none. I get to choose. But then what's the experience like? It's up to me. It's uh. Wow. It's almost like I'm a guitar being strummed by you right now. My intention this year literally has been ease and mm -hmm. it's been ease for that exact reason, that realization that, yeah, the choice lies with me in terms of, yeah. and oh man, like, you know, I often find when I set an intention, it's almost like the shadow of it shows up more, more than sure. the, more than the light of it. And it's of like course. the number of places where I go, unconsciously out of my way to make things less easy right than the easiest path you know and it's like yeah well we don't and, and one thing about our culture and again i it's a little different where you live i believe than where i live to some degree i've spent just a little bit of time in australia but i know here in america and i think this is true in lots of places in the world we don't value ease in fact mm -hmm we look down upon it. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. If you didn't work for it, you got oh, to, you got you to <laughs> suffer. You got right. It's yeah. This notion of, and I have yeah. to manage that within myself. It's like, mm. Oh yeah. This story of like, I can do it. I got grit. I'm a hard worker. I'll make it happen. I, you know, and that's the, the sort of hero story of everything is mm. the overcoming the obstacle. And the reality is there are obstacles to overcome. There are challenges we have to work through always. Mm -hmm. However, if we have an intention like yours this year, which is great of ease, my, my intention this year, by the way, is freedom. Mm. And for me, baked into freedom is some ease and some like, oh, certain things don't have to be so hard or mm. the stuff that I find challenging. What if there was more freedom around? What if there was more spaciousness around mm. those things? What if instead of, you know, that little nasty voice in my head saying, you're an idiot, you should have figured this out by now. <laughs> It's just more like, oh, what if I had freedom around that thing yeah. that isn't my favorite thing to do, or I'm not that great at that I could find someone to do, mm. or I could figure out, or maybe there's a new, simpler way to do it or whatever, right? And then, yeah. you know, if it, the notion, even to what you were talking about, what if instead of it, this notion of if it's easy, it doesn't count? Yeah. What if like it counted more if it was easy? Mm. That's really, that's really where I'm at at the moment as well. Similar yeah. to you is like giving myself, exercising it as a practice. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's been a whole body of work and yeah, I just, I love the way you describe that in terms of your experiences as well, that it's just, you know, as you shift the opportunity of like what you bring to the experience shifts and then somehow metaphysically, even the experience may shift as well. Don't get too attached to it, but it's just totally. this real, like, it's really, really, really profound. One of the things that we can sort of pull out as a thread in there is um, the permission piece. Yeah, because mm -hmm. even me, even you setting the intention of freedom and me setting the intention of ease, 
there's going to be someone in there <laughs> giving the other permission for themselves yeah. to sort of go to these places. And I'm almost sort of hearkening back into that whole self conversation yeah. um, because that takes a certain amount of permission. Like I know going into the workforce, it's, you know, sort of, sorry, I'll just, I'll just sort of take, uh, take conversation for a sec, which is, you know, one of the moments. Um, so when I graduated university and I say this with, every grain of humility. The reason I got this award was so that I could inspire others is basically when they asked, why would you get this award? It was like, so that I would inspire others. So I'll share that in this vein, which is that I graduated, not just top of like engineering, not just top of structural engineering, top of like the entire year of cohort that year. Right. And they gave me this mm. award. And nice. the last question they asked was, you know, was about leadership. And they said, what do you think is the current shift in leadership and what's happening in that space. And it was one of those moments where like, you know, like similar to you, hat backwards, but totally into self-improvement, you know, that was kind of my vibe. And I was just like, whoa, this is like a total, like, I need to prep for a question like this. It was a total Jesus right. take the wheel moment, right? Right. And what tumbled out of my mouth was, I think there is a way, like a, an old form of leadership that is archaic and it's dying and it's the way of the manager. Yeah. Um, because I think what managers do is, like you manage and manage it was great for a while but like when i think about a bird in a cage if i'm managing it yeah like i'm actually clipping its wings to be just just perfect so i can sit there in the cage and be like sing its song and like yep well managed but it's like what about all the places that bird could have flown and it's right. like no, 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 no. i want the song so i've managed the bird to generate song yeah so you don't get to see flight and song you just see song as opposed to potentially what I see the new version of leadership being is how do I actually get a couple of fans, rig them up and actually, hey, sing, but also fly, <laughs> like, can I help you out here, you know, and actually see how far it could fly, even though I have no agenda for flight in my own requirements, yes. because out of care and love for just fostering, you know, growth in another, there's like, yes. hey, fly and sing, you know, yeah. um, I need the song, but please do fly as well. And I think, when I shared that with them, there was kind of like, it was, I don't want to say a mic drop moment, but it was in that moment that I sort of felt like, oh, that was the response that, you know, I think I sort of shifted some perspectives and I think I'm going to go home with this award, touch wood. And it was really humbling to receive that. And again, I just share that because I've, the reason they said, why should we give this award to you is like, because I wouldn't really use it for me. Like I struggled with depression and transformed. And if I could take home this award, then it would be like an opportunity to inspire others, which inspired evolution. So I share it in that vein, but to yeah. come back, to sort of go, hey, like, you know, that permission piece that we're looking for, you know, it's like permission to be expressively completely ourselves, to be able to show up into these spaces. Do you think there is a shift underway? Because we're having this conversation, you and I, you've been yes. having it for multiple decades now. Do yes. you think there is a shift within the corporate space enabling people to be even more expressively themselves? I, I, yes and no. I think it depends on where you are. And I think yeah. it depends on, you know, the type of work you do, the organization that you're in, and also you, you know, I'll give you an example of this. So a, a, someone that I know who works for a big technology company, who's, um, you know, about 15 years younger than me, yeah. and she and I've been connecting recently, and I've been doing some mentoring with her, and she's been wanting to leave her organization to go out on her own, right? Yep. And feeling that sense, you know, again, I feel like this caged bird and I, you know, and liking the people that she works with and some of the work that she does, but in general feeling, okay. So what ended up happening though, she happens to actually host a podcast as part of, and sort of in conjunction with the work that she does. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
And then she ended up interviewing the CEO of their company on her podcast. And mm -hmm. after the interview, he said, you are so good at this. You should be doing this full time. Create a position for yourself inside the company where this is what you get to do. And she was like, are you kidding? And so that's what happened essentially was like, so what she did was she didn't have to leave her job because she was scared in, in a practical sense of like, yeah. I've never run my own business. I don't know how I would make money to pay the rent initially. And that's a little scary mm -hmm. and all that. And I don't hate where I work. I actually like some of the people. It just feels like it's not an expression for me. But now I get to be here for another few years doing this having a podcast, creating some content internally to inspire people internally. That's what I ultimately want to do. So now look, not everybody's going to be able to create that kind of situation, yeah. but I hear stories like that. And I do work with some really progressive companies, both big and small, where those types of things are happening. And look, right now, workers have a ton of leverage and power because the job market is so good. Mm -hmm. So this whole great resignation thing, people are leaving and some of it's just there's opportunities. Some of it's because people can work remotely in different parts of the world and do mm. lots of different things. Some of it's because people have been stuck at home for the last couple of years and haven't been able to go anywhere. They're just sick of what they're doing. So I say all of that back to what you and I were talking about earlier. Look, if you're someone who's left your job and has started your own thing, fantastic. More power to you. If you're someone who's in a job that you don't love, okay, you have a couple of options. You can either just be miserable in that situation and complain about it. You can yeah. try to create a better situation internally where you are or grow somewhere else inside of a different organization. Maybe we'll, it'll be better. Or you can take the leap and step out. The reality is all of those scenarios have potential pros and cons to them. Again, mm. it comes back to you. And I actually believe, I mean, having done this work in the corporate world for the last 20 plus years, I have seen a big shift and there's much more openness to these types of conversations that you and I are having mm -hmm. than there was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. That doesn't mean there's not a lot of shadow and a lot of funky stuff going on too that mm. you have to be aware of. So it's about sort of navigating through it. But I've seen, and back to this notion of leadership and permission, so many times what I've seen is people just give themselves permission to bring more of themselves to work. And what they find is they either can transform the situation that they have into one that's more conducive to them, or they leave, but do it in a really intentional way that sets them up for much more likely to succeed in whatever they're gonna go do next. Mm -hmm. How do we give ourselves, how do we bring more of ourselves to our organizations? When you say that it, it's very inspiring, um, yeah, it's very inspiring to feel into that. And yep. let's say I've given myself permission to sort of, okay, I'm going to do that. What does that actually look like in my, in, in the execution thereof? Well, it, it's, it's a, there's two parts to it because the reality is nothing happens in a vacuum, right? Mm. So where you work, the people you work with, the way the leader and leaders that you work with operate is going to set some of the context and the culture. So there are some places it's easier to do that than others. I mean, the other reality, I remember when, when my book, Bring Your Whole Self to Work came out back in 2018, I'm traveling around here in the US and around the world. And I had people, and I appreciate this very earnestly, people would come up to me and, hey, Mike, easy for you to say, bring your whole self to work. You're white, you're straight, you're male, you have all of these privileges. Mm. And what was interesting is, I was not unfamiliar with that conversation at a bunch of levels, just given where I grew up and how I grew up and some of the things that I'd been studying. But I found it interesting because at that time, I, 
it took me to a deeper level of understanding privilege in a way that I didn't quite understand it back then. Mm. And I realized, oh yeah, all of us have different privileges based on all kinds of stuff, not just our race mm -hmm. and our gender and our orientation, but we take most of the privileges we have for granted. So we're not all starting at the same place. Again, the CEO of the company may have a bunch of pressure on him or her, but they're going to have a certain amount of ability to say and do certain things as would a senior leader, different than someone who just started last week or is in the very early stages of their career. If you happen to be in the majority in the organization where you are in terms of your identity, that's probably going to have you feel a little bit safer than if you're not a whole bunch of other factors. So I say all of that because the truth of it is bringing our whole selves to work is about being authentic. Mm. And ultimately, it's about being vulnerable, which mm. for all of us as human beings, regardless of however much privilege or confidence we might have, is a risky proposition because there's <laughs> something that we can potentially lose when we do. Yeah. It's yeah. one of the reasons why it's easier or seems easier in most situations, especially professionally, to be full of it, to play mm. the role we think we're supposed to play. But instead of owning the fact that we do that, we blame it on the environment and we say mm. it's their fault. What do you want from me? But the truth is I have seen people absolutely bring all of themselves again to the most intense corporate job possible. And I've also seen people do creative things outside of the box where they're not being authentic at all. So, mm -hmm. it, so it really is about, am I willing to, and, and authenticity is an in the moment phenomenon. Mm. I can be just as full of shit as anybody else in any moment if I'm not paying attention, if I'm not present. And I know how to play the game like everybody else does. But if I'm present and I'm really bringing myself fully like to this conversation, that's a moment by moment choice that I make, just like all of us all the time. My, my wife and I've been together for a couple of decades. I love her. I can fully be myself with her, but I have to intentionally bring myself to my marriage every day and every time I interact with her because, right, especially given how well we know each other. I can just as easily pay, not pay attention or be on my phone or like take her for granted. Take her for granted. Like, Wait a second. This is the most important person in my life. And like, I'm taking what, you know, that's a practice for me, just like it is for her. If we choose to engage that way. Mm. Mm. <sighs> Thank you so much for sharing that. We're talking about presence and I feel like there is potentially more presence that uh, organizations and leaders within organizations are affording employees. Um, I do want to go there and I kind of know that the answer will be multi-fold to this, but I, I really want to ask because it'd be rude not to, especially in this space. Um, I, I don't know how to call it what I want to call it, but I'm going to go with corporate band-aiding. Um, you know, there is this, you know, we're setting up wellness programs, we're setting up mindfulness programs, we're setting up like, you know, yoga offerings, we're setting up things within organizations, which is really beautiful. And it's inspiring to sort of go, man, like, they give a shit. Like, this is kind yeah. of cool. There's a human coming to work and they want right. to try and honor the human. I love this. And yes. then, but then sometimes it's, you know, and on surface level, it feels amazing. But then when you start to unpack it, it's like, yeah, it's about employee retention and just keeping right. them engaged. And it's like the metrics. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. oh, man, fuck. Like, yeah. ah, <laughs> the intention. You got me the intention. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. Can we, can we, what are your thoughts on, on some of that well, stuff? I, I think you're spot on. I mean, I, look, I think there's a lot of perform, just there's a lot of performative stuff that does happen, mm. whether it's around well being, mindfulness, whether it's around diversity and inclusion, whether it's around, you know, activism and other things. And some of it, look, I think 
trying to talk the talk and say the right thing or set up the programs is better than not doing it at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I think it comes like, I'll give you an example. So a lot of how I actually started in coming into the business world, you know, about 15, 20 years ago, companies were starting to put together these recognition programs, right? Mm -hmm. And it was really important because that was for employee retention. That was for motivation. That was, oh, we can get people excited. We recognize them. Maybe they'll work harder. Maybe they'll produce more results. But then they were doing these employee surveys and it was coming back. People were miserable. They weren't feeling valued. They were leaving because culture sucked or whatever the thing was. And I didn't know about this. I wasn't anything that I'd studied, but I was studying and writing a lot about gratitude and appreciation. And I started to see, oh, there's a difference between recognition, which is about performance and appreciation, which is about people. So recognition is about telling people you did a good job, you produced a good result, which we all like. If you work hard on something and nobody says anything about it, even at home, it's like if you clean the kitchen and your spouse doesn't say, wow, it looks amazing. You know, you don't need that necessarily, but it's more motivating to mm-hmm. want to do it again, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you work really hard on something or you produce something, you write something, you create something and it goes out into the world and nobody says anything about it it feels good to be recognized when we produce some result, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. However, recognition is conditional. You have to produce some result. You have to do it. It has to be good versus not good. There's, you know, factors. And, and as a former athlete, like sometimes you win the game, sometimes you lose the game. Like you don't get a trophy when you lose the game, right? Appreciation on the other hand, though, is much more expansive. It's really about recognizing people's value. It's about caring about people. And so to your question, when I work with organizations, they could have all of the recognition programs and mindfulness programs and wellness programs and diversity and inclusion initiatives and all the things that on paper look fantastic. And you go, wow, they're really, they got it. They are, they're doing it. They know. Mm. But if people aren't really living it and embodying it and actually caring about each other, right? There's a lot of conversation over the last couple of years, which is long overdue about mental health at mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. However, people are still really burned out and not mentally well right now because of a lot of factors. So it's like talking about it is better than not talking about it, but actually doing something is harder. Same thing with diversity, right? We can talk about, oh, geez, we got to do a better job with diversity at the senior level within the company. Understanding that and seeing that is great and having initiatives is great, but actually creating environments where people from all different walks of life and backgrounds and who look different, come from different places, have the same opportunity that's a lot harder to do. Mm. And so again, there are some companies that are really getting it right. And most are really struggling trying to figure it out. Mm. And a lot of it right now, because the job market is what it is, they're just scrambling and trying to keep talent as much as they can. And that's what I said before, for better or worse, right now, employees have a lot of leverage Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and a lot of power. Now that will eventually change. It goes in cycles, right? Things will change. And if the economy comes down and then all of a sudden companies aren't hiring as abundantly, or they start laying people off. That's one thing I say, and I don't mean to be cynical about this, but it's one thing to have a conversation about. I'm out of here. I don't like this anymore. When things are really abundant, when things go in the other direction, there sometimes can be not necessarily more meaning and fulfillment, Mm. but sometimes people have a little more gratitude for, Hey, you know what? This ain't my dream job, but I'm glad I got a job. (laughs) Can you help us anchor the appreciation prayer um, and just helping people recognize what it looks like. So yeah, daddy loves Samantha. (laughs) Can you tell us about that? And like, yeah, why? And then a a couple, a couple of things I would say about it is so appreciation's on multiple levels, right? There's like yeah. gratitude. Let's start with gratitude. Gratitude yeah. is just about like if you take a moment right now, everybody listening, 
if you can, if you're driving, obviously don't do this, but you can close your eyes or leave them open, but just ask yourself the question, what am I grateful for in this moment? And just see what arises. It could be a person, it could be a feeling, it could be an experience, it could just be, I'm grateful to be here in this moment, listening to this conversation. I'm grateful the technology exists to do this. I'm grateful for someone that I love, for my health and well-being, for my, you know, the work that I do, whatever it is. So gratitude is kind of more of a universal thinking about the world, our life, and just counting our blessings. What can I be grateful for? And there's always stuff to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. Right. When we think about acknowledging another human being, that's when we express our gratitude for someone that we love or care about. It may not be someone that we know very well, but it could be in more of a reactionary form of a thank you, like a recognition. Thank you for doing that. Right. They did something that it could just simply be if you just take a moment right now to bring someone into your mind who you really love and care about. A friend, a family member, a significant other, a child. And just think about what do I really love and appreciate and value about this person? And feeling that is one thing that's really powerful. If we then are willing to authentically express that to them, that becomes this beautiful gift that we can give that doesn't cost anything. It doesn't take much time. And oh, by the way, when we give it away, you know what happens? We get to keep a piece of it, not selfishly, but that's just the way appreciation works. So just like, right, me just appreciating like your passion and how much you love what you do and how appreciated I feel just having this conversation with you by expressing it to another. It's one of these weird abundant gifts that it's like you get the gift, but I get to keep a piece of the gift. And it's this virtuous cycle. And one thing I'll say about this, it's so simple, but interpersonally, what I see us struggle with, some of this is cultural and it varies different parts of the world, but most of us aren't very good at receiving appreciation from other human beings. Whoa, that's a huge topic, right? <laughs> right? And it, it, some of it is like, again, social norm and cultural norm. And our mother told us, don't be arrogant, or you should just deflect, or you should say, oh, no, it wasn't yeah. me, or no, all this stuff. You're looking at a master deflector here. <laughs> yeah. But part of it, the, here's the way to think about it. Imagine I came, now I know we live, you know, halfway around the world from each other, but imagine I was at your house mm. and it was your birthday mm. and I brought you a birthday present. I said, Hey, happy birthday. And you went, oh, what is the matter with you? I don't deserve this present. And you threw it on the floor, <laughs> right? First of all, that's rude. Second of all, you'd ruin the gift. And third of all, guess what? I'm not giving you any more gifts, man. Right? <laughs> so that's what we do when we, when we deflect or discount, but even worse is not necessarily even worse, but something else we do is that we sometimes reflexively just reciprocate and we may mean it, but we do it so quickly. And so almost knee jerk, like inauthentically, yeah. Oh, you too. You're great too. You're, you know, it's, that would be like you running into the other room and coming out with a present for me and saying, happy birthday to you too, Mike. And be like, it's not my birthday. That's thoughtful, but weird. Like you don't yeah. need to give me. So what we can practice is, oh, when someone says something to us, even just simple of like, you have a nice smile or that's a nice shirt some, or something deeper, like I really value the way you think. I appreciate the way you love me and whatever it is, even if we don't agree with them, because sometimes that little gremlin voice in our head is going to have a disagreement with. Mm. It's not important, by the way. My opinion of your appreciation of me is actually not that interesting to you, <laughs> and it's not, not that helpful for me. So what we can learn to do is receive the appreciation as the gift that it is, because what that does is allows us to take it in. But oh, by the way, back to the present analogy, 
how awesome is it when you give someone a present and they really appreciate it? They get the gift, but you get to feel really good because I gave them an awesome gift. Mm. So ever, both people in that scenario win, right? Yeah. And then the third, and I think most important level of appreciation and the hardest is appreciating ourselves. Mm. Really appreciating ourselves, valuing ourselves. And it's so hard. You know, I just posted this great quote today from Brene Brown, which I love, and I've posted it before, but she has this great saying where she says, talk to yourself as if you're talking to someone that you love. Mm -hmm. And it's like that conversation that we have with ourselves about ourselves all day long is one of the most important conversations that we have. And we're often either unconscious about it mm -hmm. or incredibly negative and critical in a way we would never be to another human being and, and not expect them to actually love and care about us. Mm. Right. If if we talk to another person the way we talk to ourselves, sometimes they wouldn't be friends with us. They'd be like, hey, you know what? This is a toxic relationship. I do not want to interact with you. So mm. it's really a training on how to learn how to talk to ourselves and think about ourselves and relate to ourselves. And we don't get a ton of training. <laughs> right. Barely get or, any. Mod or, or modeling. And, you know, something that I that I was taught early on. A mentor of mine said something to me right before Samantha was born, our 16 year old, who's our, our older daughter. He said to me, Mike, the most important job you have when your daughter's born is to teach her how to love herself. Mm. And I said, okay, how do I do that? He said, you love yourself and you let her see that. Mm. That's how you teach her how to love herself. Mm. And look, it's challenging for sure for a, a lot of us. And as I, you know, she's now 16 years old and I watch, but one of the things that I did when both of our girls were young, this was a practice that I started that I loved. And I still try to sneak it in and mostly I get eye rolls at this age, but I would say to the girls when they were really little, toddler age, and then God, I'd say, how much does daddy love you? And it was, and they would do this and they would put their hands up way and like this much, or, the, or they'd say what my younger one, Rosie would say, you know, to the moon and back, or then she, she got into this thing, she as high as God can count. I don't know where she even, came up with that, she, would say, she would say things like this, but how much does daddy love you? And it was some, yes. And then I would say, then there was a follow-up question. And how come daddy loves you so much? And what I had trained the girls to say was, because I'm me. Mm. And I said, that's right. Just because you're you. And when I started doing it, you know, at first, I mean, it would, it would almost move me to tears. And now I don't mean to sound sort of hyperbolic about it, but it was because what I realized, I was actually saying it to them, but I was saying it to me and to that little boy in me mm. that somehow or another just learned as a kid that I was loved if I was cute. I was loved if I, you know, hit a home run in the baseball game. I was loved if I got a good grade on my, you know, whatever that was that I had to Conditional perform. Batting. <laughs> yeah, that I had to perform for my love. And I was a kid who performed pretty well. So I did get a lot of attention, but I turned that into that's how you get love. And what I was trying to do with my girls and also remind myself as a father, and I'm really having to remember it these days as they're teenagers too, that I love them regardless of their behavior or performance. My love is unconditional. Mm -hmm. Now I may have feedback. There may be some times we have to have some hard conversations as we mm -hmm. have at the ages that they are for sure, but I love them no matter what, not because of how they look or what they do, but because they're them. And I think ultimately when we really come down to it, whether we're talking about a business relationship or a personal relationship or our relationship with ourselves, if we can get into that space of really learning how to appreciate ourselves, the people around us and life, 
there's no area of life or work that doesn't impact in a positive way. Mm, I love that. I just want to breathe around that a little more. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that, Mike. Yeah. Mike, I have to ask, what is your, is there a vision that you're harboring? What is the future of work potentially or the future of humanity in our relationship with work? I think you get what I'm trying to elicit in my yeah. question. Um, what does it feel like? What does it look like for you? What's what's the desired state potentially? If you could uh, weave a prayer um, for humanity in the workplace, and what would it look like for us? You know, it's it's funny you ask that because I think I've been in that conversation for the last couple of years, pre pre COVID even, but especially as we've gone through the pandemic, because you know so much change and disruption and disconnection and uncertainty and all of this. And I, you know, the most recent book that I wrote is called We're All in This Together. Yeah. And it came out right as the pandemic started, which was kind of <laughs> weird because so many people were literally using that phrase. Mm. And I didn't write it with the pandemic in mind, but I had this really strong intuitive hit that I had to write a book and it had to come out in 2020 and it had to be called We're All in This Together. And I had never had a download quite like that. And mm. I didn't even want, I didn't even want to write another book as I talked about mm. earlier. It's not my favorite <laughs> thing to do. Um, but I do think that there's something in that, and I, and I don't mean to sound corny about it, but just this sense of togetherness, this sense of, you know, both being able to appreciate the difference, but also see the common humanity. Mm. And I see glimpses of it. And I do think, you know, through the pandemic, what I've been saying is, you know, as people started asking, are we really all in this together? It seems like we're more disconnected and separated than ever. It's more like we're all in the same storm, but we're in different boats. Mm. But I really feel like there's this sense, whether it's in big company, small company, start your own business, do your own thing. I do feel like there's this beauty of interconnectedness that we have and that we have access to. And I think there's a whole other level that we can go into it with more vulnerability, more heart, more compassion. Mm. And that's my prayer and my hope for not just the working world, but for the world as, as a whole. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I, I can really feel that it has a lot to do with our interpersonal relationships and the way we get to show up in it all, yeah. which I think is, um, is much more, if I can just speak from my heart, is much more mature than the sort of approach that I've afforded the vision because I, I appreciate that one of my perspectives is... I'm just going to go ahead and call it out is it's, it's quite juvenile. Um, I feel like my perspective is that it would be beautiful if everybody could just do the work that they love. And, yes. you know, it's a big prayer that I'm carrying and I trust that, you know, there is some of us need to carry that prayer and that frequency. That's the intention behind the inspired evolution. Do more of what you love and make that your way of life and live a life that actually is an expression of your authentic love and self. And yes. it's massively what I stand behind and it's everything. And it is the inspired evolution, right? But, one of the parts that, and the reason I'm calling it out as somewhat juvenile is, you know, some part of me does beg the question is then, then who comes to pick up the bin in the street, you know, right. on the, on, at, at the street who potentially is being exploited, pardon me, um, somewhere else, you know, to build the soldering ship that then puts this PC together for, right. you know, each, each PC is put together for like 50 bucks, but I spend $2,000 on it, you know? Right. Um, and so with that awareness of like all the stuff that like, you know, from a, 
you know, and I love, again, that hearkening to the maturity of your response, which is there will be the work, but it's the interpersonal relationships in terms of how we show up, which actually makes all the difference. Like when you start looking at some of the studies that people put out, it's if you have a friend, a couple of things there, if you have a friend at work or someone that you associate as a best friend, like yeah. your relationship with your work is completely different. Your job satisfaction charts are through the roof. Totally. And the other thing is people don't apparently quit jobs. They quit managers. Yeah. Yep. which I thought was actually really profound. When I heard that, I was like, oh, my God, it's just... And back to, you know, ties into your point. It's the shadow of the fact that it's our interpersonal relationships. It, it's the humans. I mean, it always is. You know, when I when I talk to my some of my buddies that I played ball with growing up and in college, whenever we get together and we sort of reminisce, what do we miss? We don't miss the game. We miss the guys. We miss mm. being on the bus. We miss, you know, and, and in that vein, as you were just talking, something popped into my head. Because I do think at the end of the day, it's like, look, we're human beings underneath it all, whatever mm -hmm. roles we play, whatever we do. And one of my favorite, when I was growing up, I was a really sensitive kid. I was a really emotional kid. I was raised by my single mom and my older sister were big influences on me, but I was scared of a lot of the other guys because I wasn't tough and strong. And if there was a fight, I was running the other way. And some guys who had brothers would like wrestle with each other and it would always kind of freak me out. But I'm around these guys all the time because I was an athlete and I was a pretty mm -hmm. good athlete. But my favorite day of the season in this weird kind of way was always the last day. Cause usually on the last day of the season, unless you win the championship, you lose and the season ends in a very sad way, right? You lose and then it's over. And it's sad because the season ends, but it's usually sad because, oh, we didn't win the championship. And I was on some championship team. So I had that experience of the excitement of you win the whole thing and there's nowhere else to go. But what also would often happen on that last day when you'd lose the game to end the season is not all the guys, but a number would, would cry. And whether I was, you know, 10 years old playing Little League or I was in college or I was even playing professionally, there would be tears. And the weird thing was, you know, I was raised definitely of the era of boys don't cry and we're still <laughs> doing a that. Macho, it's a macho context macho. too. It's full, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But to see these guys, like the toughest guy on the team, the one I was scared of, who I didn't think had any real emotion in there, <laughs> put his glove over his face and see the tears running down his face. There was always a part of me that felt A, more connected to them, to everyone. Wow and be less crazy myself. Like, oh, it's okay, we're all human. Mm -hmm. And I say that because the moments for me, like I'll be in these like high level executive team meetings and I'm working with the, and there's someone says something and someone shares something and someone talks about their kid or their family or their mom who's sick or whatever. And it's this human moment and there's some tears and all of a sudden we look around and realize we're just a bunch of human beings trying to figure out how to be human. Mm -hmm whether we're working in a big corporation or a small company, whether we're working for ourselves, whether we're 25 or 75 or whatever the hell it is. It's like, I think there's something to that. And I've always been drawn to that. I've always been drawn to that realness and that common humanity. And to me, it doesn't matter where I go in the world or what I'm doing or whether we're on zoom or we're sitting in a small room or we're in a room with thousands of people. It's just, it's always there. And the challenge that we all have is can we bring that within ourselves and can we tap into that, within other people. Mike, I want to take this opportunity to thank you, man, for digging so deep, deep within yourself to be able to go there and actually unpack that actually we are all in this together and the things that you're feeling, just that vulnerability that you have to go in there and go, actually, do you guys feel like this too? And oh my God, actually you guys do. And actually bearing witness to that on that journey and just the work that you've been doing on yourself so that actually we all 
can also feel seen and heard in all of our neuroses almost. I don't want to call it neuroses, but, yes. you know, in our humanness, really, in our humanness. And, yeah, man, the prayer that you're carrying, really, really, really grateful for it. And the places that it's reaching and the way you're weaving it is an absolute, it's an, it's an absolute inspiration. So thank you not just for today's conversation, brother, but also the work that you put into today's conversation. Really, really, really appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for having me and thanks for all your energy. It's really beautiful. Guys, the links to, um, yeah, we're all in this together. will be in the show notes below. I'll link some of the other books too, because they're all amazing. But yeah, check that one out. It's the most recent one. And um, on behalf of myself and the Inspired Evolution Tribe, the collective that we've got brewing here in Australia, across the world, brother, wishing you all the best on your journey. Thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. Without you, the Inspired Evolution Tribe, this podcast would not be what it is today. Thank you so much for your love and your support. Thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve. It's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve. Honestly, your subscription on YouTube to the channel helps us out a great deal. And one of the other benefits, if you're having any insights or shifts from these episodes that you want to chat about, or if you'd like to leave myself or the guest a message, please do so in the comments on YouTube. I truly look forward to hearing from you. And as always, Tribe, remember to stay inspired and keep evolving. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 